Hello and welcome. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and this is the very first James Cancer-Free World podcast, our world premiere. Here's the idea behind our podcast. There's lots of amazing research and life-saving patient care going on here at the James. On this podcast, we'll talk to the top James scientists and doctors, and they'll explain what they're doing in simple, easy-to-understand language. That's right. They're going to demystify cancer science right before your very eyes and ears. And this is really important because pretty much everyone has been impacted by cancer. I'll bet a lot of you listening right now have either been treated here at the James or know someone who's been treating here, and you definitely understand the impact and importance of research. So thank you for downloading and listening. We're going to start things off with one of my favorite James doctors, Samik Roy Chowdhury. Samik and his lab are what I like to call cancer detectives. That's right, detectives. And they're a perfect example of the James philosophy that there's no routine cancer. Samik is one of the world's leading experts in what's known as precision cancer medicine, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the podcast, Samik. Hey, thank you for having me, Steve. Great. It's great to have you. And Samik, before we dive into precision medicine, fill us in on genomic testing, what it is, and how that's what enables you to do what you do and be a cancer detective. Sure. So so cancer is a disease where cells in our own bodies start to do two things. One, they grow when they're not supposed to. So tissue in your body should grow when it's supposed to and not and, and, and replenish stop the, growing the stores, that, for example, in, in the lining of your stomach, cells replace themselves on a daily basis. The lining of your skin heals itself. The, the two things that cancer does is it grows without control. And the second thing that it can do is, is to travel to other parts of the body where it doesn't belong. So skin cells that continue to grow after a wound or you know an, an injury in the garden, for example, but then travel to the liver and invade the liver and cause the liver to fail. And so those are the two properties to grow and to invade other places. And what we do with genomic testing, which is to understand the genetic changes that are happening in those specific cells that are giving those cells those special properties. So it's a dysregulation of what should normally happen. It should know when to stop growing and it should know when to grow. And so if you get an injury in the garden and your, your skin is healing on your hand, that's normal regulation, but a genetic change can disrupt that and say, grow and travel and invade. And so genomic testing today with new technologies that allow us to interrogate hundreds, if not thousands of genes can help us identify if there's a genetic change, also called a mutation, that has arisen in those cells that is giving that cell those two properties. Because I've seen you, I've heard you talk about this before, and you talk about there's four letters that make up the genetic code, and those letters, there's billions of them in your DNA. Right. And I'm sorry, what are those four letters again? So so G, C, A, and T. So it's an alphabet, and that alphabet, just like our alphabet of 26 letters, those combinations of letters provide words uh, that carry function. So the genes are encoded by these letters that tell stories as sentences and paragraphs. Uh, Those genes encode proteins that carry out the functions in the body. And when those genetic uh, uh, codes are changed for some reason... So when the the cell replicates and there's a change in the order of those letters... Correct. That's what you're talking about. Right. And that can happen sporadically. So if I asked you to copy a dictionary, for example... (laughs) Um, word for word, 
you would probably make some mistakes. And so actually the way our cells copy our DNA, it's actually quite accurate. Uh, perhaps one in 100 million letters are an error. So you can imagine if, if a one in a million, one in 100 million was the error rate, uh, that would be pretty good. But since you're copying billions of letters and there are trillions of cells in our body that are replicating and copying this DNA every day, um, there's always going to be risk for genetic changes to accumulate. Most of them are harmless. Uh, but over time, one or, one or more of those could lead to a cancer, cancerous cell. Uh, there are certain things in our environment that can accelerate those genetic changes. So, for example, ultraviolet radiation exposure on your skin. Too much sun. Can lead to UV damage and DNA damage right. and accelerate that process and risk of skin cancer. Other things in the environment that we can be exposed to are tobacco uh, and smoke. And so those carcinogens are carcinogens because they can accelerate the accumulation of DNA damage or DNA uh, alterations. Okay, so understanding all this and understanding and being able to uh, look at and see the order of these letters is the genomic testing that is the basis of what you do. Right, so okay. we may see a new patient with, with a new diagnosis of cancer. Uh, the cancer has grown, it's invading different organs. And so by doing genetic testing, we can determine if there are specific genetic changes that are driving that process, the growth and the invasion. And if we happen to have a new therapy available, either off, on our shelves as part of standard of care or as part of a clinical trial, we could then try to match the patient with their genetic change in their cancer to a new therapy. And the idea being if that genetic change is causing that growth, can we inhibit the function of that genetic change and turn off that signal and turn off growth and turn off invasion? Uh, and that's, that's the concept of precision medicine. So identifying the marker or genetic change that's driving growth and choosing a therapy based on that. Wow. And, and just so people understand, you're both a scientist, a PhD, and a medical doctor, so you do both. You see patients, treat patients, and also do the research behind this. So you're sort of in that unique situation where you're doing research and seeing patients. That's right. I'm a physician scientist, so it lets me have insight into what we need. So there are important questions and unmet uh, needs uh, a case for change. So when I see patients in my clinic and I see you know, a situation where I don't know what to do, I can then take that question into the laboratory and try to solve it. And so I understand the clinical need that patients and doctors see every day, but I also understand how to apply a very basic science technology uh, or a concept to the office uh, visit, to the clinic, to the patient, and, and, and make it useful. Okay, excellent. I want to talk a little bit more about a, sort of an example, if you could run us through seeing a patient and how you would apply all this genomic testing and then treatment. But first, let's take a quick break to hear a message from the James about all the important work going on there. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. 
Welcome back. I'm with Samik Roy Chattery, and this is the world premiere episode of the James Cancer Free World podcast. Before the break, Samik, we were talking about genomic testing and how that allows you to identify the markers and mutations that cause cancer and then use that as the guide to the right uh, drugs or clinical trials to treat a patient. So now let's talk about a specific example of, of what you do, of a patient who comes into your clinic and how you treat them. So let me give you an example of how precision medicine uh, has changed the way we think about cancer. And going back a little bit in time uh, to 2011, uh, when uh, I was first involved in trying to use new technologies for gene sequencing for patients. And at that point, uh, gene sequencing technologies were very expensive, uh, had not really been applied at a scale that we're talking about today for patients. Uh, and they were very complex. And so we, we started a study during my training uh, at the school up north uh, where we were going to offer this new heavy-duty gene sequencing technology to a few patients just to see how we could do it. So this preliminary study uh, in 2011 to go from uh, a biopsy of a patient's cancer to the genomic sequencing in multiple ways to the complex computational analysis of their data uh, to the interpretation of those results, which was a 30-day process from start to finish. And that's literally getting that string of four letters, thousands, millions of them. Billions of letters, billion, right. Billion, okay. And so we were the first to do this in 2011. And what we realized was, one, this was going to be a way for us to discover new markers. It was going to be a way for us to identify patients who could benefit from a specific therapy and... But it also meant that we had to do new things, which was to develop new ways to test patients that were using clinical-grade approaches. And what I mean by that is instead of a research laboratory test, uh, these technologies needed to move into a clinical laboratory where it meets standards for clinical care and use. So faster and more affordable. And meeting regulations yep, right. and guidelines for, for sensitivity, specificity, and reproducibility of a test, because it has to be run uh, accurately and reproducibly every week. And so uh, so the first step of this is the, the discovery process, identifying a marker, uh, and then the, the next need that comes from that is to develop a test. And so uh, in that study in 2012, we, we published... Uh, a finding about a new type of marker, and that marker is called a, a gene fusion uh, involving a gene family called fibroblast growth factor receptor, FGFR. So, But is that a mutation that is in each of those cancer cells? That's right. So okay. we identified FGFR fusions, a type of mutation, in multiple patients with different types of cancers. And so this Fusion was basically a chimeric monster of the FGFR gene plus another gene together being expressed, and that changed the function. And so instead of this gene having an on-off switch, the on switch was on permanently. And so this chimeric or gene fusion of the FGFR uh, family uh, members meant that the gene was always on. And that was, we think, the reason for cancer growth and cancer invasion. And so with that discovery of this marker in multiple cancer patients, different types of cancers, what that meant for us, we needed a new way to test patients for this gene marker called FGFR. 
and we needed new clinical trials to offer them therapies, uh, regardless of what type of cancer. So at that point, we were only doing trials for specific cancers for, with, with a given therapy, rather than a clinical trial based on a gene, regardless of what kind of cancer you had. So we were going to put together different patients with different cancers, so breast cancer, lung cancer, you know, bile duct cancer, all in one clinical trial based on a gene. They all had the FGFR marker. Correct. Correct. Okay. And so when I came to Ohio State in 20, uh, 2012, uh, that was my, one of my missions, right, to figure out a way, uh, since we'd met these patients in that study, we were unable to offer them a new therapy yet because we had no test and no clinical trial to offer them. And so uh, during the 2012 to 2013 or so, we developed a new test called SparkFuse. Uh, and so that's a test to detect different types of gene fusions. Uh, we did that in a clinical laboratory that we developed at Ohio State. Uh, we were able to get a, a grant to fund that from the National Cancer Institute. Uh, so that was awarded in 2016. We've been offering the SparkFuse test now for uh, for almost three and a half years now. So that's the genetic test that will identify the FGFR marker. Correct, the and fusions. You, and so you've created a way to do it uh, consistently and I'm assuming perhaps quicker and more cost-effectively, cost effectively, yeah. accurately, uh, reproducibly, and uh, available for clinical use. Wow, okay. And so that's the test. So that's, I hadn't realized that that was so recent and that before that there was no way to identify these markers. And, and so that's a pretty big breakthrough. For fusions, using this particular approach, this was novel, correct? And so in addition to finding those markers in those patients in 2012 and 2011, uh, we had the new test and then our first clinical trial at Ohio State for FGFR opened in, in 2014. So just two and a half years after a very basic science discovery of these fusions in patients, we were now offering tests and offering new therapies in a clinical trial. So these clinical trials are uh, treatments that will attack these markers. Right. So we okay. offer a therapy matching the FGFR fusion that tries to turn off the fusion. And so that the first trial we started in 2014, that one is still ongoing. That's Ohio State is leading that study. And then at this point, we have three different clinical trials involving FGFR inhibitors uh, at Ohio State that we can offer patients depending on what kind of FGFR abnormality they have in their cancer. Uh, oh, so, actually, so you've subdivided FGFR mutations into into more than one. So there's category. multiple yeah, types there's, of mutations okay. that can happen. Wow! So and it's the different drugs work differently. And, and so one drug may have certain side effects. One drug may have better efficacy in one situation. So we have multiple agents available. Um, this is just three out of many different FGFR drugs. Uh, there are no real FGFR drugs that are currently approved, so all of them are investigational. And so in order to get an FGFR inhibitor, you really have to find a clinical trial. And so currently we have three out of you know maybe a dozen or so agents available. So these are clinical trials Ohio State and you are leading that other cancer centers have signed on to and, and believe in and are, are doing for their patients. Right. Many of these trials are across the country, too. Yeah. So, so this, is the way for, this is the way forward. Mm -hmm. This is how you show that something's working and... Yeah, and I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, just just two days ago, uh, we uh, started three women on an FGFR inhibitor, all with the same type of gene abnormality, different types of cancer. What, and, what types uh, of cancer? I'm curious. Uh, cancer of unknown origin 
and cancer of the bile ducts. And each of them have had a FGFR fusion, different types of fusions, all detected with SparkFuse. And they're all starting different FGFR inhibitors now. Here at Ohio State? Yep. Just two days ago? Yep. So it's too soon to know. And they're going to come to our office visits every every two, three weeks together. And hopefully we're going to see some good results. And so another thing I, I just want to make people aware of, these patients, and I think most of your patients, have been treated initially Right. And that's they, right. And their initial treatment doesn't work. Then they come to you. So that's right. So all of these patients prior to new gene testing have had prior chemotherapy or surgery or radiation. And basically those things have, have not been effective or have stopped working. And so they're looking for new therapies uh, in situations where they've really run out of the best options. Right. So their outcome is doesn't look good. And, and I know and I've met one of your patients who had cancer of unknown origin, which mm-hmm. means, correct me if I'm wrong, it, she had three or four different um, tumors around her body and you couldn't tell where they originated, if it was right. the lung or the blood. Right. So, and so that makes it harder to treat, but she's doing great, right. like it worked. Right. So exactly. What's what have you found when you identify the FGFR and put people in these clinical trials? What's What's been the results so far? So, so when people benefit from these therapies, we see the cancer shrinking, we see their symptoms, their pain, their nausea gets better. All of these are oral therapies, so there's no IVs involved. Uh, and on the flip side, though, despite the benefits we're seeing in many of these patients, after about six or eight week or six or eight months of therapy, uh, in some instances, the cancer starts to grow again. And so we think that the cancer has found a way to escape the FGFR inhibitor drugs and become resistant to the drug, much in the way that antibiotic resistance develops with bacteria after a long period of exposure. So our next mission for FGFR is to understand how our patients' cancers are becoming resistant, and we're doing that in the laboratories. We're, so, so the patients are completing the clinical trial. Uh, they undergo a new biopsy of their cancer, and that comes to our laboratory, and we compare what happened to their cancer now to the cancer that we saw before the treatment started. Uh, and that's a whole new area of work that we're trying to figure out. Also, you look at the mutation all over again to see if it's changed and adapted in those billions of letters. Exactly. There's going to be a slight change. Exactly. Wow. And so well, now, but and does that give you a new path to investigate and treat? So the question is, what do we do now? Yeah. So is it a different FGFR inhibitor? Is it a better FGFR inhibitor? Is it a different uh, drug altogether that has to be combined with the FGFR inhibitor in the first place to prevent that recurrence or that resistance from developing. Uh, And that's a very important line of research at this point uh, that we're focused on, uh, mostly through doing a repeat biopsy of the cancer. Uh, But in some instances, we've actually been able to do another uh, approach, uh, a study that we started last summer uh, where patients can actually donate their bodies for cancer research. And, and in some instances, our patients become so sick at the end of the clinical trial where they're not well enough for the next therapy. And often I'm able to get them to another therapy or another clinical trial uh, to keep uh, uh, fighting their cancer. But in some instances, they become so sick that that's not possible. And uh, in those instances, uh, many of our patients have been willing, uh, actually almost all of them, uh, to donate their bodies after death 
And what we do is we conduct a limited autopsy where we collect pieces of their cancer. And, and that's really enabled us to study their cancer in a way that we haven't been able to do before. So really studying every part of the cancer and every organ involved. So you're taking samples from all over the body. From the liver, from and, lymph node, from the brain, from the lung. And seeing if there's any difference in the mutation in each part of the body? Correct. Exactly. Wow. And that, that concept is heterogeneity. So what, what does that mean? <laughs> we, we assume that all the cancer oh. that's spread is the same. But as you know, as cells divide, they accumulate changes. And so do cancer cells. And so we think that's one way cancer can evade therapy by becoming diversified. So it's, it's, it's part of evolution, right? So uh, birds do it, and so do cancer cells. They diversify and find ways to overcome environmental stresses. In this instance, their environmental stress is therapy. And what they're trying to escape is that therapy, uh, and by diversifying and having heterogeneity in that population of cancer cells throughout the body, uh, they're trying to escape and what the body donation study is allowing us to do is study how tumor heterogeneity contributes to drug resistance. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, thank you. This was great. This was a great way to start off our podcast, and you're a great guest, and we're going to have to have you come back and tell us more about as you advance in your research. So thank you for being our first guest. My pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.